Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. In this episode, it's a recommendation by Leone that I don't think I've heard of before, but you know, there's no shock when we don't know what we're talking about. And this is the story of what is known as the Peterborough Ditch Murders. So, Caitlin, have you heard of this one before? Um, no, I actually went, oh, when you read it, then I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You might start talking about it, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I just don't know what's that, but no, I don't. Yeah, some things ring a bell, but then others I'm just like, oh, no, not a clue. Um, anyway, so I'll begin. On the night of March the 29th, 2013, 44-year-old Kevin Lee was reported as missing. He hadn't come home that evening, so his wife had reported him missing to the police, who then acted on it pretty quickly because it was very out of character for Kevin to not come home. The following morning, a car that was set on fire the night before was reported to the Cambridgeshire Police, and with registration checks, this car belonged to Kevin Lee. Now, just hours after his car was found, a dog walker found Kevin lying face down, dead in a ditch, wearing a black sequined women's cocktail dress that had been pulled up to his waist. He had five stab wounds to the chest and there is the appearance that he had been sexually assaulted. He was found in a remote field in Newborough, so likely no witnesses to the crime. You know, no one was going to be in the field at that time. Kevin was a family man. He had two kids and he had his own business where he'd rent out properties to mostly those who were either on benefits or were struggling with life. And within this community they, he, that he dealt with, it'd be folk who had, you know, they had criminal records, they had just been in jail. So it was a large mix of different people. Due to the way his body was found and the violence of the murder, police believed it was someone who knew Kevin who killed him because it wasn't just something random that had happened. A possibility on who it could have been was 31-year-old Joanne Dennehy. Kevin's wife had gone through his phone and called a lot of his contacts the night that he was reported missing just to see if they knew where he was. And obviously, because he had so many tenants and things, there was a lot of people to go through. But one name that came to the police's attention was Joanne Dennehy because her telephone or her mobile, should I say, had been used close to where the car had been set on fire. So that had pinged one of the telephone um, posts, shall we call it. Now, Joanne was five foot five. And so obviously they're wondering how on earth she could have managed to do all of that on her own. However, a second person's phone was picked up around the same area of where the car was set on fire. And that was another person who rented from Kevin. Sorry, I forgot to say that Joanne had rented from Kevin. And he was a well-known right, okay. violent criminal. It was 47-year-old Gary Stretch, who is seven foot three. Eh? Yeah. So no. he's quite tall. Yeah. No. <laughs> So you've got no five way. foot five Joanne, who probably couldn't have done it on her own. But now you're like, oh, well, this guy's very, very tall. <laughs> no, I'm actually not understanding. Is that an actual height? I actually didn't know people could be that height. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure basketball players are that height. Are they? I think so. 
I don't know. This is honestly, this has shot me the most at the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, shocked. <laughs> Seven foot three, this guy was. And he's a violent criminal as well, just to add to the mix. He's add not a basketball that, star. Yeah. I was um, going to say, is this a basketball player? Um, I just <laughs> wanted to ask a quick question, if that's okay. Um, see how you said how he was found? Sorry, it just kind of came to me there. Was he known for like dressing in drag or was this like a total shock? Do you know? I believe just now it's a total shock. Right, okay. So it was kind of like, why on earth is he like this? And he was, it was like he had been placed like that as well. He was put in a sexual position and he had his dress up up to his waist. So right, it was, so it was like, like he was, he was placed like that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. No, that's good. Thank you. Now, Gary and Joanne, they were actually working for Cash in Hand for Kevin. So these two people knew Kevin. Not that they only just rented from him or lived in one of his flats. They were working for him. Now, he, they were going about the houses um, that he was renting out and they would go to tenants who were to be either evicted, they weren't paying Kevin money and they got them to move on and threatened them and did whatever they needed to do to get them to either pay or move out. So really they were going about and they were causing havoc in a way. They weren't nice people, to put it quite bluntly. Now, since Joanne was doing this for Kevin, though, he actually allowed her to stay in the flat rent-free. So it's like he had, he had a soft spot for her. And it's also said that he kind of had a crush on Joanne. And he was a kind he was a kind man. And it said that he wanted the best for people and he wanted to help those such as criminals to kind of make a better life for themselves, which I think was maybe one of the reasons why he was doing the whole rent into people like that. Now, Joanne hadn't long completed a 14-month sentence in prison for theft before she went to live in Kevin's house, well, in Kevin's flat. However, she had told Kevin that it was eight years for murder of her father who had raped her and abused her. But this was completely untrue. This wasn't true at all. It was in for theft. What? Yeah. Like, I've heard it the other way round, being like, oh, I was in for theft, and they were in for murder. But why would you say you'd been in for murder if you... Oh, that's like, I don't If you understand. hadn't been. So this is kind like, of summing up the sort of person that Joanne is. I know it's only small snippets that you've heard just now, but, you know, she completely just talks nonsense, and she's got... In other words, Kevin wrapped around her finger. Yeah, very much so. Now, another thing that makes her more of a suspect as well was that on that day that Kevin had been reported as missing, he had arranged to go round to Joanne's house to meet up with her. Now, at this time, they were unsure as to why. Uh, however, it later comes to light that they were in a sexual relationship with one another um, and that Joanne was kind of... She would say to him, like, oh, yeah, no, you can come round and I'm going to rape you and things like that. She was into all of that stuff, really, really dark, violent things. It wasn't just, you know, a relationship. But Kevin went along with it. Now, with Joanne and Gary suspects, the police decide to go round to their houses, as they would. However, they were both nowhere to be seen. So the police went to the back garden of Joanne's property and they actually found a blood-stained mattress in the back garden, just hidden in plain sight. This obviously is very suspicious. However, when the blood was tested, it was not a match to Kevin. So who could this have been? Whose blood was this? 
Now, around the time of this investigation, though, another man from this from the estate who was also renting from Kevin, John Chapman, he was also missing. So a manhunt was then sent out for Joanne and Gary um, because they were nowhere to be seen and they are the two prime suspects. I'll give you some background on Joanne uh, just now before I go on. Now, Joanne was born in August 1982 and she grew up up in Harpenden in Hertfordshire. She had a normal childhood and she was brought up by parents Kathleen and Kevin. She also had a younger sister called Maria. She was a loving, sensitive little girl growing up and was your usual happy kind. You know, she was just a little girl. She had an absolutely fine childhood. There was no abuse. There was nothing dark in this childhood. There was no... I can't pinpoint a trauma. You know how sometimes you're like, oh, all these people that could have murdered someone have this very dark, awful childhood. There is none of yeah, that. Yeah, what I was going to ask is, so, like, I know she made up that her dad had, like, that's why she was in prison. So just to, like, clarify, that never happened. Like, obviously, I know that's why she wasn't in prison, but, like, she wasn't even assaulted. So it's not like he had assaulted her and she'd made up this dream that she'd managed to kill him or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, there was none of that. Just to right, make okay. clear, her childhood was absolutely fine. All right, okay, because I was expecting it to be like, oh, no, her dad did abuse her, like, really badly. And then I was going to be like, oh, okay, like, maybe that's why she was saying it then, because, like, she wished she had kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, no, none of that. However, though, this all changed when she became a teenager. So she was, she wasn't that kind little girl anymore. She started to not care about anything. She didn't care about school. She didn't turn up. She caused trouble when she did. And she got in the into in with the wrong crowd, which, you know, some teenagers do anyway. It's like, you know, part of growing up in that. And she started drinking alcohol and taking drugs. She was manipulative, especially with the boys. She got them to do her homework and literally just do anything for her. Like she could wrap any boy around her thing, finger. And of course, she was a school bully and she enjoyed seeing the pain that she caused in others. So this is a complete switch to who she was when she was a child. When she was 14 years old, she began a relationship with a man who was six years older than her called John Trainer. Obviously, her parents weren't happy about this and they didn't approve. So Joanne ran away from home at 15 and went to live with her boyfriend. John knew that she was a minor and always, always stands by the fact no matter what you see or any um, uh, programmes about this that come out or any reports, he'll always stand by the fact that there was no sexual relationship before she was 16 years old. He knew that she was a minor and nothing like that was going to happen. So they were homeless as well when they first started living together. And John says that Joanne liked this life. However, John, on the other hand, he was, you know, he was quite keen to put a roof over his head and start a life. And after a year of being homeless, they managed to get a council house. So John was ecstatic about that. And Joanne was kind of like, oh, whatever. Now, Joanne was 17. They had a baby girl called Cheyenne. When pregnant, it said that she stopped drinking and smoking. However, once Cheyenne was born, she didn't care that much for her daughter. She just didn't have that kind of mother bond thing that I guess kind of happens when you have a child. There was no affection and she went back to drinking and drugs. 
She would also cheat on John while he was at home with their daughter, and she would leave the house and be gone for days and even weeks. Now, after five years of this relationship, John left Joanne and took Cheyenne with him. Now, during this time, Joanne went back to her hometown and she just lived her usual life, just drinking drugs, being with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong things and theft, etc. But after a year of doing that and being apart, John ended up taking Joanne back and they went on to have a second child. Now, like I said, John must be wrapped around Joanne's finger like she could do with anyone. She was very manipulative and people would literally do anything for her. Now, again, though, she was safe during the pregnancy, but as soon as she had the baby, she was right back on the drinking drugs. It's also said that Joanne was also into self-harming. She did this, I think, since her teenage years. And John said that sometimes she would just have pins in her arms sticking through the skin. And, you know, she'd um, cut all up and down her arms, her stomach, like anything. She would just always self-harm. Now, the final straw in the relationship was that one time after an argument, Joanne whipped out a knife and stabbed it into the carpet very violently. And this was in front of John. And she said that she could just fucking kill someone. So John knew, obviously, that this wasn't safe for her children. And he moved out and took the kids with him. For the next couple of years, Joanne didn't actually see her kids. And she was in and out of jail. She was drinking drugs and was charged with having a dangerous dog as well. And she was pretty much just a thug, to be honest, just causing havoc. So that's the background of Joanne. And now we're back up to 2013. So, like I said, the other tenant was 56-year-old Royal Navy veteran John Chapman. He was also missing. He was one of Kevin's tenants and he was actually sharing the flat with Joanne. It's possible that Joanne was put in there to threaten John to either pay up or move out because he also struggled with drugs and alcohol abuse because he was now a widow. But it's also said that, you know, they could have just been friends as well. The Manhattan, the Manhunt was set up to find Joanne and Gary and the police released information to the media in the help for their search. Now, Joanne had a star tattoo on her cheek and Gary is over seven foot. So they're not the sort of folk who blend in very well. You're going to see these people. Now, due to this information, CCTV footage in a petrol station in Norfolk found them both. Joanne was actually in a car that Kevin had bought Joanne because, like I said, he was he really liked her. So the police managed to get the registration number of the vehicle and they started to track it. They managed to see paint a route and see where they were going they were on the run but they never looked to be in a rush they weren't actually physically on the run they were in shops petrol stations they stole things they were going about just living life while they were running from the police in a way they actually also stole the camera and they went about taking photos of each other each other like really weird photos as well but also just other photos like they were tourists like they were literally just going on a holiday. They got to Hertfordshire and they were running low on money. So Gary suggested going to Kington to an acquaintance, Mark Lloyd, who was a former petty thief whom Gary had met in prison. So Mark was to help them get cash for all of these electronics and things that, that, that they had stole. And so Mark was to get in the car with them. 
Mark also didn't really have a choice of this because Joanne pulled out a knife and said, I've just killed three people and I want to kill some more. So obviously Mark is going to be tagging along. Also note, I've just said that Joanna said she's just killed three people. Mark later said that while he was with them both, that it was very clear that Joanne was the one in charge of this whole situation. Gary was going along with anything that she said. It was like he was under her control, even though he could easily like take her. He's seven foot. He's a big man. Um, I can post a photo of that later as well. You can clearly see. Easily take her. <laughs> well, like, you know what I mean. He's just like, I'm just going to go fighting now. <laughs> yeah. No, I get you. It's very interesting, as you said, because like, it's obviously not about the physical side of it. It's obviously mental. Mm-hmm. And, like, like he's just so, like, controlled by her that he's like, yep, yeah, no bother. Yeah, I'll do anything you want. Yes or no, so sir. wild, is that? Yeah. Now, they went to Hereford to sell the stolen goods. And whilst in the car, Joanne was in the front passenger seat. You had Mark in the back and Gary was driving. So Joanne was in the seat and she was drinking whiskey. She was taking pictures with the camera. She took pictures of the malls, you know, the sites, herself, everything, just documenting the whole thing and she also kept taking out of her knife taking out her knife and showing it to mark and things because she just loved this knife she was having an absolutely great time now during this ride she said that she wanted to kill another man not a woman or a child she wanted men so she said to gary find me a man with a dog so gary points to 63 year old robin bereza who was out walking his dog and asked if he would do. And he did. So Joanne got out and attacked Robin from behind and stabbed him in the back. This was just on the side of the road and Joanne did not care at all that people could see this happening. She was having fun. She was loving this. Now, Robin was stabbed multiple times. Sorry, I was going to say, there's something like, nah, like, I know you said she had, like, a complete normal child and stuff, but, like, she's giving me, do you know, like, Arlene Wuornos vibes, where it's, like, this hate for men, but she had, like, her reason for doing it. So, like, you don't just decide one day you just want to kill a man. No, exactly. There's something with her. I don't know if it's a power thing. I don't know what it is, but there's just something not... Something. (laughs) That's a bit sus here. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's something... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it's a control thing. I don't know what it is, but there's something with her. No, absolutely. And uh, Robin was stabbed multiple times and he was left bleeding to death. And like you said, Joanne, she just didn't care. There was something in her head that was like, this is absolutely fine to do. Because once done, she just got back in the car, kissed Gary on the cheek and said that she wanted to do some more. Five minutes later, Gary spotted another man who would do. This was 56-year-old John Rogers, who also lived in Hereford. He, too, was walking his dog along a cycle path, and Joanne attacked him as well from behind. However, this was a way more brutal attack than Robin. He was stabbed everywhere, the back and chest, over 30 times. It said that, you know, he was lying face down on the ground after she was stabbing him in the back, and then she turned him over and stabbed him in the front. You know, she this was chaotic. For like this is absolutely chaotic. Like, absolutely, she doesn't even know these people, so it's not like it's like, oh, he pissed me off, or oh, he did this, he did that. Like, this yeah. is completely random. 
There is no connection whatsoever. And then once she was done, Joanne stole his dog and went back in the car. John managed, though, to crawl to a public path where he was spotted by a member of the public who obviously called for help. Both John and Robin were airlifted to hospital. They had sustained, obviously, life-threatening injuries. They had just been stabbed multiple, multiple times. But by some miracle, they both have survived. No way. Way. They are both That's what I was about survivors. to say. I was about to be like, I didn't hear about these murders, but that's brilliant. Yeah. So they have survived. Obviously, their lives have changed significantly because of <laughs> yeah. this. But they have survived. Now, at this point, the police were on their tail. They had travelled 140 miles from Petersburg. And Gary, when the police finally caught up with them, Gary made a run for it. But he didn't get that far because he was caught later that day. So he got out of the I was going to say to you, do the police suspect these killing, well, these mur- attempted murder, sorry, of the two men, do they suspect them? Yes. So that's kind of, right. Joanne got out of the car to stab these people, loads of other police reports were coming in being like, this is happening, you know, we need help. So then so the were she, were, like the attacks were actually seen? Yeah, they were seen. There were witnesses. People had seen everything. And Jesus, right, okay. Because of the first one, because of Robin, the police were in like contact with all of the other places in different areas so like Peterborough and that and because they were tracking this car that Joanne and Gary and that were in they knew their kind of whereabouts but they didn't know whereabout they were until she got out the car and started yeah, yeah, yeah. people so right, okay that's things I wasn't sure if they had like pinned the two and two together but like yeah it's not even that's just I'm actually just in shock with this like I don't think we've actually done one that's just this wild to be fair like with the reasoning you know like normally we've spoken about this as like people just kill like people they've met on a night out and that we're like what's the reason but this is like literally beyond that yeah there's no <laughs> I'm reason so confused. and the weird thing is so obviously you know Gary he's he's ran away and got caught um but Joanne on the other hand she was calm she still had her knife in her hand when she was in the car but the armed police went up to her and stuff and she was so cooperative and she went to the police station with them. And then the police went in the station. They actually contacted her parents just to tell them that she had been arrested for the murder of Kevin Lee and the attempted murder of John and Robin. But her parents hadn't been in contact with her for years. So they were obviously shocked about this. So Joanne was then held in custody for this, as you, you would be. But she was acting like she hadn't just killed a man and stabbed two others. She was chatty. She was trying to flirt. She was having a laugh with the police. She was joking and everything. So there is footage of this and um, it's just absolutely crazy. She's just casually at the counter, you know, when you like give all your information and things. She's just like, oh, yeah, nah, blah, 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 blah. Oh, your eyebrows look great. And, you know, nah, she must have. she must have something. Mm-hmm. Now, on there the... must be some sort of psychotic disorder here. Oh, do you want to ruin my ending of the story? Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Dr. Caitlin's just coming in here and being like, mm, 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 this ain't normal. <laughs> now, on the 3rd of April 2013, after Joanne had been arrested, a body had been found northeast of Peter Peterborough, not too far from where Kevin Lee was found. 
So obviously the police had rang the station and been like, look, this this has just been found. And everyone was like, okay, well, this will be John Chapman. You know, this is going to put everything back and we're going to pinpoint everything together and it's all going to make sense. But then the phone rang again within seconds and it was confirmed that there were actually two bodies in the ditch. So I don't know if you remember that when Mark was getting threatened to come in this car, Joanne said, I've just killed three people. She has just yes, killed Yes, I was going to go people. back to that because I was going to be like, who's the third? Right. <laughs> with you, with you. So the first body was confirmed to be John Chapman. And the second was actually the dead body of 31-year-old Lucas Slab- Slabazeski. I'm so sorry for the butchering of his second name. Now he yeah, was just uh, yeah, that's probably the best you're going to get. I'm sorry, <laughs> I am inept. Now he was a Polish man living in Petersburg, but he didn't have any family close by, hence why he wasn't reported as missing. Oh right, okay. So he was kind of, I think he was on drugs or drink, and he was kind of homeless. He went to soup kitchens and things, and said that he was a really nice man, but he didn't have anyone close by. Now, forensics determined through decomposition that Lucas was actually the first victim that Joanne stabbed to death. He had met Joanne just a few days before she killed him on the 19th of March 2013. He had arranged to go round to her house for drinks and sex. This was actually a very violent murder, which also included a stab wound straight through his heart. After Joanne had murdered Lucas, this is when she got in contact with Gary for help, obviously, to dispose of his body. Sorry, just one in me. It's mental how she needed him to help dispose the body, but she doesn't need any help like killing people, which is wild. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, I will kill this person, but oh, can't lift the body. <laughs> anyway, Gary contacted one of his associates, which was 36-year-old Leslie Layton, and they put his body in a wheelie bin outside a nearby block of flats. After the murder, Joanne was very proud of this, and she actually showed a 14-year-old girl Lucas's body in the wheelie bin. Now, it's not reported that the girl reported this, but no wonder, because she'd be absolutely petrified of Joanne. You know, she's just been shown a dead body. She's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to report you. Now, nine days later, she killed John Chapman on the 28th of March. They had been chatting and drinking together, and then Joanne stabbed him to death and stabbed him through the heart as well. The mattress that was soaked in blood was John's as he was stabbed in his bed. Joanne again called Gary and said, oops, I've done it again. And that's when they got rid of both the bodies in the ditch. You're lying. Is that what she actually said? That's what she said. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Now, on the 29th of March, the next game day, Joanne wanted to kill again. So that is when she killed Kevin Lee. She brought Kevin to or invited him, sorry, to the flat for sex and she persuaded him to put on the black dress now it said that you know he must have thought oh this must be part of them the evening and also yeah like was the obsessed role play that her. she wanted to do kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah so again he would do anything for her and he was mainly stabbed in the chest and the neck and then gary and joanne drove his body 
in the car that Kevin had bought Joanne to a separate ditch about 10 miles away from, from the other one with the other bodies. And that's when they disposed of him. Right. They put him in a sexual position, pulled his dress up, and, you know, Joanne was having a ball. She thought this was hilarious. This is wild. Now, when Joanne got arrested, I think things were put on halt for 10 days because she needed to go for a psychiatric um, evaluation, which, you know, is I told you. normal. I told you. And the reason she got this is because I think when you get asked these questions when you're at the desk and things, she said that, oh, yeah, no, she's got bipolar, she's got this, she's got schizophrenia, she's got, you know, everything under the sun. But she was she was smart. She knew what she was doing. She wanted to always be in control. And because she said all of this information, she had to have a psychiatric evaluation, which then means that she can't get questioned or anything for 10 days. Now, this puts the questioning on halt, but it doesn't obviously stop the police from investigating further, checking forensics, you know, putting everything, piecing everything together. It just means that they can't talk to Joanne right away. Now, when they did, she was questioned and she was always in control. But in November 2013, they went to court for to make their plea. Now, everybody thought that she was going to plead not guilty. So they were ready for that. But Joanne actually pleaded guilty to all three murders and two further attempted murders. So then again, she was held in remand at HM Prison, Bronzefield. Now, after the psych- assessing psychiatrists, they diagnosed Joanne with psychopathic, antisocial and borderline personality disorders. She was all in all diagnosed as a psychopath. Now, Gary Stretch and Leslie Layton, they stood trial and they were charged with a range of crimes relating to assisting Joanne. They weren't charged for obviously murder because they hadn't murdered them physically. They decided not to give any evidence or face cross-examination. They weren't like doing anything for, against, should I say, Joanne. Mark, though, on the other hand, who was the forced in the car, he obviously witnessed the stabbings and things, but he wasn't to stand trial. He um he stood on the bench and obviously assisted the police and they were like, no, this is what Joanne did and this is what the events happened. But he was never charged with anything because obviously it was not his choice to be in the car. Now, with regards to Gary and Leslie, the jury, they considered the verdicts on the 4th of February 2014 And on the 10th of February 2014, Gary was found guilty of attempted murder and Leslie was found guilty of perverting the course of justice. And then two days later, on the 12th of February, they were both convicted of all other charges that were put against them, which also included unlawful burial because they disposed of bodies. Now, on the 28th of February 2014, at the Old Bailey, Joanne was sentenced to life imprisonment. The trial judge, Mr Justice Spencer, ordered that she should never be released due to the premeditation of each murder. He also said that Joanne was sadomasochistic. Sadomachistic? You know me, I can't actually speak. Pardon? Yeah, sadomasochistic. S A D. O-M-A-S-O-C-H-I-S-T-I-C. 
Right, I know what that word is. I'm not going to try and pronounce it after slagging you off, but I know that's <laughs> like they're into the sadistic stuff. Yeah, very dark and yeah, psychotic. Like the bondage kind of, but like severe, like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, he also said that she lacked the normal range of human emotions. Now, Joanne is believed to be, or is really, just one of three women in the UK to be given a whole life sentence. So the other two, as we know, are Myra Hindley and Rose West. So she's up there with those two. Wow. That's how crazy this is. So she got life... um, and, you know, no parole, nothing like that. And Gary was also sentenced at the Old Bailey alongside Joanne. Um, and he got a recommended minimum term of 19 years. Leslie was sentenced to a total of 14 years. And then there's mention of a third man called Robert Moore, who was 55. He was charged with three years in prison because he admitted to assisting an offender so it turns out that the police had went to ask him a question and be like where's the whereabouts of Gary and Leslie or anything like that and he had lied to the police and sent them on a different trail so this guy pops up and he gets three years now like I said Joanne was diagnosed as a psychopath there was nothing like that there's loads of um talk as well about that when that she was on remand for trial she a staff had found an escape plot in her diary and like she had written down that you know she'd kill or seriously injure a prison guard she'd cut off their finger use it to you know the biometric system in the prison to get through things and you know she'd escape so because of this she was placed in solitary confinement um before her her trial even began now she claims that this left her isolated and you know led to self-harm etc also anything that she put forward she was like oh this is against my human rights you know they've been violated the court rejected all of that obviously um it was said that i mean she's not really i'm all for like prisoners being treated kind of fairly but like she's not really in a place to talk about people's human rights exactly i'm just saying just saying no completely right and then also um there's talk that in 2018 she was going to marry one of her cellmates and they had a suicide pact together that they were going to kill themselves um you know things like that she's just kind of she's not obviously gotten not better in prison but you know she's just running the whole place um it shows that she is actually seriously ill like what we spoke about earlier like she's this is not normal no not at all and then also there is a thing saying that when she was moved to a prison in county durham in 2019 she threatened to kill rose west (laughs) who had been moved to another prison so i don't know why she's got an issue with rose west obviously because she killed children and women but i'm like joanne come on you can't have an issue with anyone but anyway that's the story of the Peterborough Ditch murders. I'm Do stunned. <laughs> I am literally stunned. Like, yeah. Amazing. Not amazing, but like, wow. Like, there's Crazy. Like, 
yeah and like I'm so confused I've not heard like more about this yeah me too I I really don't know how we haven't heard about this it was 2013 we were here we were alive we were uh, yeah that's actually not that long ago no 10 years kind of vibe but it just shows mental you Mm -hmm. who's out there like as in people's brains are completely wired differently shall we say but mm-hmm. it's no excuse at the same time like she was like she's a psychopath and and she deserves to be locked up for life yeah definitely and like it's mental that she never got help almost do you know it's like nobody kind of figured this out before it was too late and offered like help or you know like actual medical help do you know what I mean yeah yeah but it's it's, it's like something just tweaked it's like she completely just changed yeah so it's like was it like experiences grown up not even like at home but like with friends and stuff do you know mm-hmm. I just think so mad no yeah just mental yeah so so mental but thank you to people for recommending well Leonie Leonie thank you for recommending but also it shows like why we ask people to recommend stuff because like we yeah. probably found it one day when like googling and research and stuff but when people know a story like that so like please don't think you're bothering us when you're like oh this case would be really good to do because that would actually be like really helpful because we then find these like wild ones 